0: Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. During our season break, we're rerunning two of our favorite podcasts from the first season of The Horn. Today's episode, we're bringing you my discussion with Rashid Abdi, a former Horn of Africa director with us at Crisis Group. Back in December, I spoke to Rashid about the diplomatic spat between Kenya and Somalia over their maritime border. One of the reasons we're replaying this one is because Rashid's sharp analysis of several regional dynamics, icy relations between Kenya and Somalia, the widening gap between Nairobi and Addis Ababa under Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, these continue to have wider ramifications for the Horn of Africa as a whole. A brief update, the International Court of Justice was due to start hearing this case in June, but has postponed oral proceedings until March next year. That makes this issue as relevant as ever. Hi, welcome to The Horn, a podcast from International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Kenya and Somalia are currently fighting out a legal case over their ocean border, known to many as the Kenya Somalia Maritime Dispute. Somalia has sought investors to explore oil and gas off the coast of their border, territory that Kenya believes is rightfully theirs. Kenya has responded sharply, expelling the Somali ambassador and cutting off direct flights to the country. Many worry the dispute could further destabilize Somalia and the region. To walk us through all this, we have Rashid Abdi. Up until just recently, Rashid was the Horn of Africa director for Crisis Group, which means that Rashid was also my boss. So it's our great pleasure to have him back with us here on The Horn. Rashid, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Alan.
0: So we've seen relations between Kenya and Somalia uh, deteriorate sharply over the past year. What is the maritime dispute? Can you explain that to everyone? And and why did it flare up this year specifically?
1: So this goes back a long way to uh, 2010, uh, 2011, when um, the government, which was in power then in Somalia, um, began discussions with Kenya about... Damarcating what was called the continental shelf. Like many places in the world, the maritime border between Kenya and Somalia was not damarcated. So Kenya and Somalia signed a memorandum of understanding that they will find uh, a way to damarcate their maritime borders. What we didn't know then was that um, the whole affair was being pushed by oil interests. Who basically wanted to exploit offshore oil and gas in the Lamu Basin, and so they wanted a clear treaty demarcating the borders between the two countries. In 2012, the president then Hassan Sheikh came to Kenya and said, "Look, um, here is the memorandum of understanding you signed with the previous government, and clearly we need we need to uh, demarcate this quite quickly. If not, then we will take this matter to court." At that time, uh, Kenya's calculation was that um, Somalia probably uh, was not in a state to push this. So they, they, I think, uh, misjudged uh, Somalia's intent. They thought this was just a way of extracting concessions from Kenya. And, you know, the Somali government was not serious.
0: Because they saw Somalia as just too weak politically. Exactly.
1: Uh, And I think that played into Kenya's calculation to basically, you know, dismiss the whole affair. Hassan Sheikh felt humiliated. Uh, he came actually to Nairobi several times, tried to meet with senior Kenyan officials, but you know he couldn't. He couldn't get access. So I think it was it was eventually anger that forced and a sense of humiliation which forced his hand. So he took the matter to the Hague, and you know from there it was downhill. Uh, Kenya basically decided to up the pressure on Somalia. You know they uh, began imposing aviation restrictions uh, on Somalias uh, on Somalias uh, flights from Somalia. They also, I think, more importantly, began to impose uh, strict visa regulations for officials who are transiting through Nairobi or wanted to visit Nairobi. I think you have to remember that uh, almost 90 percent of all, you know, international business on in Somalia is actually uh, done here in Nairobi, and so Nairobi is a very important diplomatic hub for Somalia. And that, I think, clearly uh, escalated the tensions between the two countries. The situation is that now. Uh, the court has decided uh, that it will issue a verdict uh, in June 2020. So Kenya and Somalia basically have, uh, have until June to try to work out how to resolve these tensions. Kenya's main point, I think, is that uh, they want an out-of-court settlement. Somalia insists that they cannot have an out-of-court settlement, until the court decides. So they are not completely closing down the door to dialogue, but they are saying, let's wait for the verdict first. And I think you can understand Somalia's motivation. You know, that strengthens their hand in any future negotiations. Uh, And also, more importantly, I think, um, is the fact that uh, the current Somali government, this is an election year for them. And I think there is nothing more serious for, for a pres- an incumbent president than to be seen to be giving away, you know, a territory, a disputed territory to, to, you know, an adversary or a neighbor who is seen as predatory. Kenya also, I think we have to understand where Kenya is coming from. Kenya says that, look, we we deployed thousands of troops uh, to dislodge uh, Al-Shabaab. We uh, liberated the port of Kismayo, which was a major, major uh, revenue honor for, you know, the insurgent movement. So, you know, K- the Kenyans say that, look, we, we shed our blood to, to liberate your territory and this is what you do to us. So there is a feeling of, of deep, uh, you know, sense of grievance against Somalis for, for betraying that trust and that, um, I think, sense of solidarity.
0: So so let's look at this closer from both sides. Uh, from the side of uh, Somali president uh, Mohamed Farmajo, as you mentioned, Somalia is heading towards an election, possibly next year. How much of this has to do with political reasons, national populism, and how much of this has to do with monetizing oil revenues?
1: Um, I'm glad you raised uh, those issues because I think they are very critical to understanding what is going on. And also, they 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 interconnect, they intersect, and I think um, first of all, uh, Somalia uh, is headed to an election uh, in 2020 slash 2021. The kind of uh, elections which Somalia is going to have, we don't know, but clearly, uh, the current president intends to run, and I think this is why he's playing hardball. He comes from a constituency which. Uh, has a nationalistic streak, you know, so b- believes in, in a strong, assertive Somalia. And this is also some of the, I think, subtext which, which uh, one needs to understand, that he is also playing to a very domestic, his core support base, which wants to be see Somalia as a strong state which is asserting itself. Uh, I think there is nothing more uh, disastrous if he was seen... To be, you know, caving into pressure from from a regional uh, state. So this has this this uh, crisis is is actually driven a lot by, by that
0: dynamic. And that's essentially Somali nationalism. Somali nationalism, exactly.
1: And then on the other side of Kenya, you also have something similar. You have uh, a country that feels it is a regional power. It has a, a very vibrant and a larger economy and has deployed troops to Somalia and would not want to be seen as, you know, caving into little Somalia, you know. So there is this, I think, ego grudge match between the two states, which also uh, makes the situation more uh, combustible.
0: How did we get to this point, really? It seems like, in some ways, Kenya, you know, seeing itself as the stronger partner, should have been able, possibly, to to ward this, to ward this off. And of course, Somalia has possibly put itself in quite a difficult position because Kenya does have a lot of leverage over Somalia, given how much uh, Somali elite and businessmen uh, use use Nairobi as a hub. Uh, so so uh, did both sides just overplay their, their cards or how did we get here?
1: Yes, um, I think there were a series of missteps, uh, especially, I mean, on all sides. And um, on the Kenyan side, I think you had um, uh, basically a thinking or a view that Somalia is not going, uh, that it's not going actually to see through the entire process um, and that we can, um, um, twist them or we can put pressure on them and they will pull back. I think they completely misread uh, Somali politics and they completely, I think, downplayed the impact uh, of domestic, uh, you know, nationalistic sense will have in, in really escalating uh, this matter. On the other side, I think also the Somalis have, um, I think overplayed the crisis. Instead of engaging in this matter pragmatically, finding ways in which they can engage the Kenyans, they actually also let some of the more hardline nationalistic elements to actually take over the narrative. It no longer was a maritime dispute. It became actually a much bigger problem. We have a predator neighbor that wants to destroy Somalia. So it played into the old historical grievances which uh, Somalis have have always had against uh, Kenya.
0: One interesting fact that um, is a bit difficult to overlook is that the president of the International Court of Justice at the moment is a Somali national. Is that just a coincidence or did that play into President Farmarjo's thinking?
1: Well, if you listen to some of the uh, comments from the Kenyan media... And even you know sometimes the officials. The sense is that this is a rigged uh, system. It is also what dis- what drives the skepticism, but also the feeling that the system is against us. On the other side, I think the Somalis uh, are proud that they have a president. But I don't think uh, th- their argument is that look, this is a professional court. It has, in any case, there is a panel of judges who will decide, and it will be it will be voted. You know, it will be open to vote. So. Um, there is no, I think, uh, they tend to downplay the 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 argument that uh, this is a system that has been uh, that, that is going is a verdict that's going to favour. But I think you are right. This is this is also part of the complicating factor in the whole court case.
0: Now, implicit in Somalia's strategy here seems to be that they think the court might give them a favourable ruling, and Kenya's. The way Kenyans responded also seems to indicate that they're quite worried um, about the the legal case itself. Um, why is that? Is there any reason to think that Somalia is on stronger grounds here legally?
1: Um- I have looked at um, at the, some of the technical details on this. There, it is very complicated, and I can understand why the court has taken uh, this long to actually reach a verdict. It is a very complicated case, and there is a, uh, there are ge- geological, you know, issues. There are actually maritime issues. There are issues of precedent to, to, to discuss. Now, if you look at what the Kenyans are, uh, what uh, the Somalis want, is a sort of um, um, a diagonal. Um, economic zone uh, demarcation. Diagonal
0: from their border. From their border. If you kept drawing the border from where it was, it would go diagonally. Absolutely,
1: I've put it uh, very eloquently. Uh, So what happens is that that completely shrinks Kenya's uh, Kenya's
0: uh, access and, to the sea. And Kenya wants the border just to be drawn horizontally. Exactly. Okay. So
1: that that actually is... is and, and I think if you look at the way in which these issues have been settled, there isn't a clear-cut rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has always been open to, to interpretations. and uh, So it is a very... There's no detracting from the fact that it is a, an exceptionally, uh, you know, complicated problem. And uh, then, on top of that, you also have another problem, which is oil and gas. If this was just an ordinary fishing ground, I think you'll have seen a settlement. But the problem again is that you have two countries, poor countries, who are desperate to to use to to you know who see um, the oil and gas offshore uh, oil and gas as actually a ticket out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So I think this uh, is also what has made the situation much more combustible.
0: One thing that we've heard is a concern that if the the International Court of Justice does decide one way or the other. This could have uh, down uh, ocean effects, if you will, on the rest of the African uh, Indian Ocean Mm -hmm. coast, because, of course, many of those same borders haven't really been demarcated for the same way. Do you agree with that? Yes.
1: And I think this is one of the reasons why the court is very reluctant. Uh, every court, every ICJ ruling creates a precedent. And I think they are, they are very careful. They are cautious. They do a lot of technical checks and all that. I think just um, talking to an, you know, various actors, the sense I get is that part of the dilemma is actually very political what is the, the the court does not want to take a ruling that actually leads to direct conflict. That will reflect very badly on the court. And I think that is why my sense is that eventually the solution will be a fudge, something that creates a very hazy, kind of a very elastic regime in which which can be interpreted in very ways and parties will be happy too. And I think we are beginning to see that 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 uh, uh, those elements coming into play in which mm-hmm. Kenya and Somalia begin to engage before the election, before the verdict the the verdict comes out it doesn't create the nuclear uh, you know catastrophe and all countries you know the two countries begin a process of actually arbitration and, and some form of revenue sharing or whatever um, you know regime works for them
0: relations between Kenya and uh, the Somalia federal government is of course complicated for other reasons. Um, as you mentioned, Kenya sent in its troops into Somalia in 2011, and they remain there. And Kenya supports some of the regional states, um, uh, which they see as essentially buffer zones for security reasons, uh, with, with Al-Shabaab being so active in southern Somalia. Um, and, of course, President Farmaggio on the Somali side, you know, obviously uh, wants more of the power to rest in, in Mogadishu, Um we saw this flare up uh, uh, earlier this year in Jubaland elections um, is the maritime dispute exacerbating these tensions um, between mogadishu and and the uh, re- and the federal member states these regional governments um or or is this all inevitable anyways
1: indeed I think that is an excellent question the impact which the maritime dispute is having on domestic uh, politics both in on both sides of the border now, um, tensions have been building up in recent years uh, between the Somali uh, government and its federal member states. So what has happened is that um, the bulk of these oil and gas resources lie off the coast of Jubaland. Uh, which is uh, a territory which borders Kenya and which historically has been linked to kenya 's northern province northern uh, northeastern uh, clan composition and various historical factors make actually this region not two but one region you know so the, the, there is the politics is very much intertwined and and, and conflicts also tend to spill over so um, the the contest for Jubaland has actually intensified between Mogadishu and Nairobi. Uh, there was an election held recently in in, in which the former incumbent president uh, um, sheikh madobe was was reelected under very controversial circumstances. you know the opposition entirely boycotted the election so in in the eyes of i think Mogadishu the exercise was illegitimate um and I think uh, tensions have been building up in recent uh, months in in Jubaland now the the Kenyan, from the Kenyan perspective, the return of, of Madobe is a strategic victory because uh, not only is he a friendly ally, but a friend, you know, a, uh, a friendly leader, but also potentially an ally in case things become complicated in the negotiations over oil and gas, mm-hmm. because the oil and gas lie off the coast of Jubaland. So that is also the dynamic I think one needs to understand, that this isn't just two states battling each other over our marine territory. It is actually very much, uh, you know, intra, uh, it is very much complicated by the politics.
0: Now, of course, the other major player on Somalia um, for the past several decades has been Ethiopia, Um, and... Previously, Kenya and Ethiopia, it seems like sort of shared a policy of supporting the the member states um, and they cooperated a lot on their Somalia policy. Um, it seems new Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's taking a, a uh, different approach and um, has been quite close and friendly with President Farmajo. Uh, how do you see the Ethiopian role playing playing into this?
1: Somalia and Ethiopia... Uh, Somalia and Kenya; these are three countries that have had very difficult relations, and the relations go back, uh, you know, decades, even centuries. So the those historical factors, I think, need 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 to one needs to be aware of them. Now, Abiy, since his emergence, has begun shifting some of the traditional. Uh, policies of Ethiopia towards Somalia. Somalia is not being vi- entirely viewed in Addis now as, as a serious internal national uh, security uh, crisis for, for Ethiopia. It, in other words, it's not now securitized as it was in the beginning. We are beginning to see Abi talk much more about economic uh, opportunities, economic integration. Uh, you know, he talks a lot about, um, uh, you know, Ethiopia's access to some of the uh, ports in, in Somalia. So he has, he has shifted the debate from security to economics. And I think that is positive. But where the problem lies, I think, is the way in which also he has shifted very radically as uh, the traditional support for uh, some uh, Somalia's federal member states mm-hmm. now Meles Zenawi uh, loved federalism and i think not only did he conceive the idea of ethnic federalism for Ethiopia but also he favored that system in in, in the neighboring countries he encouraged Kenya's federa- uh, you know decentralization he also um, did the same thing in Somalia and both uh, Jubaland and Puntland, and even Somaliland, you know, uh, saw in Ethiopia as this strategic, uh, as neighbour who who was, uh, um, you know, supportive of them, but also as a strategic ally in case things became difficult with Mogadishu. But where Abi actually, what Abi has done is to completely pivot towards Mogadishu at the detriment of, you know, these regional states who now feel they do not have these huge neighbor who looked to them with favor so that has actually complicated also the politics also another uh, i think element one needs to understand is that Abi comes from a different school of thought he has according to him you know studied the federal, the ethnic federal model and actually is against federalism he wants a strong centralized state
0: I mean, we see this over and over again, of course, uh, most of the focus with what's going on in Ethiopia is focused on internal Ethiopian issues, because those are, of course, massive. But the effects of Abiy's emergence on, on regional dynamics, I think, is, is, is still sort of coming into, into view. So I imagine Kenya then feels quite on its back foot and 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 almost besieged suddenly if if uh, given uh, that Somalia has pushed this case which they weren't really expecting and then and then Ethiopia which which used to be with Kenya and sort of supporting the federal member states have have suddenly pivoted what are the what are the implications for the region if Kenya and Ethiopia are no longer seeing you know eye to eye or are reaching some accommodation on how to how to engage Somalia and their strategies there.
1: The whole uh, disruptive impact of Abiy's uh, radical uh, rearrangement of all traditional uh, foreign policy of Ethiopia has, I think, fundamentally shifted uh, or upset some of the, you know, uh, fragile and delicate alliances. Now, uh, Kenya and Ethiopia have had the longest, most resilient, I think, strategic partnership of any two countries in the Horn and i think um while i'm not saying that uh, it is now uh, at a critical uh, you know phase uh, and you know is 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 really unstable um there's no denying that Abiy's policies have upset that relations and there is a real palpable sense of uh, of anxiety in nairobi which also drives some of the escalatory uh, politics, uh, or, uh, I mean steps which they have taken in recent months. I think the Kenyans cannot read a bee. whether they can't read him, uh, you know, well. Is he a friend? Is he a foe? Mm-hmm. And I think that is what is causing some of these tensions we are we are beginning to see.
0: It's interesting looking back historically how much Kenyan Ethiopia cooperation has really been sort of the backbone of some of these uh regional uh security um initiatives and and the sort of settlement within the region. And, and that was institutionalized in the form of EGAD, which is the uh the regional bloc. And I think one thing that, that we've seen is very much that Abiy's Abis emergence in Ethiopia has had um a, yeah, has had a lot of effects on that regional on that regional settlement. And, and I think we're, we're still waiting to see sort of how all that uh, shakes out. Now, do you see the Gulf states also playing a role in this with the maritime dispute? Or is because of course, the, 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 the Gulf dispute between uh, the Emiratis and Saudis on one side and the Qataris on the other has had a lot of implications in Somalia. And I don't think we need to get into all of that. But is it is that also playing a role in this maritime dispute?
1: I think, first of all, we need to be careful in in not seeing everything that happens as actually having a you know a Gulf element to it. But you are right. In this case, you know, this maritime dispute has actually um, you know is beginning to have um, I think uh, elements which are linked to the geopolitics, the wider geopolitics. Qatar, for example, um, has recently bought three of Kenya's oil fields. So they have bought a stake in the three oil fields, and this is a very interesting, I think, development because Qatar is very much the biggest supporter of the Somali federal government, and many of the you know Somali politicians are directly linked to to Qatar's uh, you know they they the patronage uh, networks and, and systems. So I think Qatar has been trying to maneuver. Uh, into a position where it is seen as the benefactor both of Kenya and of Somalia. And we saw the foreign minister come to Kenya recently and also visit Somalia. And I think there is a lot of evidence that behind the scenes the Qataris are interested in some form of a settlement. So uh, Qatar is playing a very clever game in which it is trying to be seen as the tempering hand, you know, as the calming, uh, you know, big brother in all this, uh, which is quite interesting.
0: Now, to take all these various threads and put them, uh, uh, wind them back together again, uh, there's been various attempts at trying to mediate between uh, President Kenyatta and, and President Formaggio, including by Prime Minister Abi, including uh, the U.S. had an initiative to, to try to mediate between the two. Uh, did any of these find any success?
1: Um, success... Yes, but but very modestly. You know, we are beginning to see uh, less acrimonious uh, language. Uh, We are beginning to see less harsh statements between the two sides. We have also begun to see a relaxation of the visa regime at uh, the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport. Flights from Mogadishu no longer fly through uh, Wajir uh, Wajir Airport. So all these are very positive, uh, you know, uh, I think, the escalatory measures. The problem again lies, I think, in the bigger issues. The the there is also, I think, another very interesting thing that has happened in recent weeks, which is both countries have actually, for the first time, said that they are going to ring fence their bilateral relations from the maritime dispute. In other words, they are going to make a very, um, you know, deliberate uh, compartmentalization of of the you know of the situation in which they you know the tensions the maritime tensions do not then uh, i think disrupt their traditional bilateral relations and i think that is that's very positive it is it is the pragma the best pragmatic thing to do how these two countries then proceed from here no one knows Um of course the two leaders met here in nairobi uh there, there is also um i think an effort underway by the by the government of uh egypt mm-hmm. uh to try to broker a settlement mm-hmm. now Egypt becoming involved also in the maritime dispute also, I think, sends a very bad signal regionally. Mm -hmm. Ethiopia, uh, I think, will not be very happy. Because of the Nile? Because of the Nile, Nile dispute, and I think Kenya needs to be very careful in the way or rather these two countries need to be very careful uh, of who they choose as mediator and who they choose as a sort of go between um egypt i mean i have no problem with egypt mediating but probably egypt is a complicating factor an aggravating factor in in geopolitical terms and i think you know the two need the two probably will at some point need some kind of a neutral far away you know mediator but I think the critical steps from here is, first of all, to cement and consolidate these de-escalatory measures, mm-hmm. And I think the Kenyans uh, also... Uh, need to probably stop putting pressure on Somalia for an out-of-court settlement. It's not going to happen before the verdict. After the verdict, Somalis are very open, and I am sure, 100%, that eventually the two countries will come around the table and find an amicable route uh, out of this because there is no other choice. Even from a technical perspective, even the oil and gas uh, operators basically say that we cannot operate in a very in a climate where you know, the two countries are hostile, where uh, you know Somalia doesn't have a navy. You know, Mm -hmm. and that probably is a strategic, you know, gain for or maybe a strategic leverage for for the Kenyans. But it isn't if you consider this is a very tiny territory Mm -hmm. and, you know, potentially you can disrupt some of the oil rigs by by various uh, means. So um, I think if the two countries continue on this path, Mm -hmm. uh, which has been started, then, you know, the future, uh, I think, uh, you know, are much more optimistic that there will be a settlement.
0: By what you've said, uh, you don't expect Somalia to, to really negotiate um, a final deal until this, this verdict happens. So what can people do in the interim if, if policymakers and, and regional and, and international actors want to want to engage this issue? Uh, what can be done between now and, and the, the, the case hearing in, in June?
1: I think um, definitely, the, the, you know, the, there has been a lot of backroom, uh, back back channel, you know, uh, diplomacy by the United States government, but also by the Europeans to try to, you know, bring the two countries, you know, to some form of. But I think Somalis are very careful. Farmaggio, does not want to appear as if he has caved in, as if he's now negotiating. And that is why I think you saw in some of his message, he basically said, look, we talked, it's Kenya that gave us concessions. I never gave any concessions. I never promised that I'm going to for an out-of-court settlement. And so there is a need, first of all, I think, to take this from the media limelight. To basically, it's not it's not a media contest, and I think uh, you know there is now room for some much more discreet, uh, you know, diplomacy between between uh, the two countries, but also by you know their friends um, outside. Um, the key is to consolidate the de-escalatory measures so that we don't have another disruption uh, along along the path. Um, my feeling also is that we we need to prepare for the post June uh, verdict. It's not going to be a huge... My, my, my feeling is that it is probably going to be a fudge, you know, in, which, in which case both countries will, will have a much more flexibility in, in, in finding a settlement. If then it, is, it is, uh, goes against one party, especially the Kenyans, then probably the, the hardliners in the Kenyan government may say, look, this is what we expected and we gave concessions for nothing. And so that I think is my fear that in case, you know, it goes against Kenya, this the, the hawks within the Kenyan administration, you know, will have their hands strengthened and then we'll be back to square one.
0: And you do think a win-win solution on this is possible?
1: A win-win solution is possible, no doubt about it. It's just that, you know, both have boxed themselves into this corner where they can't climb down without losing face, you know. And this is the problem one is familiar with, you know, when when you overtalk or escalate rhetoric about the case, then this is eventually what happens. They are basically captives of their own, uh, you know, rhetoric.
0: Rashid, thanks for coming on our podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Alan.
0: Thanks for listening. You can follow Crisis Group on Twitter at Crisis Group or find us online at crisisgroup.org. Once again, I'm Alan Boswell. This episode was produced by Mae Francis.